Are we live? We are live. <laughs> Sorry. So close. Did you get to do all the tech stuff? Did it work? No, I didn't have a uh, chance. Uh, so close. Uh, Sorry, I'm honey. trying to make this less awkward, but uh, <laughs> listeners, it's 9 p.m. It's February 24. We're entering Renters Radio. We're talking about rent control, elections, the loss of WAAF, and uh, stopping an old MIT economist from getting back on his bullshit. This is a call-in show tonight. Candidates, friends, activists, trolls. Our phone lines are about to open up, so call in 872-810-2125 and help us help you. You have such a great radio voice going on right now. Really? This is yeah. my Twin Peaks, Laura Palmer. Yeah. Happy I'm, Twin Peaks Day. Happy Twin Peaks Day, everybody. It is uh, February 24. It is not 11.30 a.m., but it's 11.30 a.m. somewhere, which means we can start drinking. Um, but let's say hello. I'm your fearless host, Lauren pa- Laura Palmer. Laura Palmer? <laughs> yes. And uh, I'm back from the dead to uh, bring you Renters Radio tonight. I'm sitting here with my other co-host. Trusty sidekick, Evan George. Hello, hello. And how are we feeling? I feel amazing. This really? Is... I mean, I have a cough that's from last week. I'm hoping I sound a lot better, but we're going to figure that out shortly as I quickly share to uh, spread my own little Facebook I know. Again, I My Facebook got real slow. See, this is what I was trying to avoid. I'm, you know what I can do is the traditional bitch at Herb moment. Uh, so no, Herb's having a hard enough time was, making yeah. sure we have we don't have rigged elections. He's fighting the communists. He's fighting everyone. I'm sorry, it was really my fault. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Herb, we want to try a new tech intro. Yeah, okay, that's cool. You're uh, live. Three, like, yeah, no, two. I completely <laughs> forgot why we were doing that, too. So now I'm just going to do the intro as awkward as I always do. I'm so sorry. Because it's amateur hour over here. It's, no, it's okay. Uh, 8.51. I guess we have like a few a few more minutes to be awkward. Um, What else can I do? Let's, start, let's get this watch party started. Yeah, start your watch oh. party. And... I think we're going to start with the vegetable segment, right? Vegetable segment? Yeah. So that's what I call like the deep dives we do into actual housing and rental issues is the vegetables. The vegetables. And then like the dessert is when Rod Weber calls. Oh yeah. Um, Rod Weber's going to call in tonight, but you can call in too. This is a call-in show. Phone lines aren't quite open yet, but they will be shortly. Um, And we've got all kinds of people to talk to. We want to hear from you. And you know what? Even if we didn't like reach out to you i kind of still want to hear from you too i just want to see what happens well i'm very excited to talk about this mit segment because none of this would be happening if it wasn't for the fact that i had lunch with uh, the georges the other day in the north end oh mm. the georges the georges in the north end uh, the folks were in town had a lovely sea bass uh that was the special where'd you go uh for Christmas, I got my parents a gift card to some restaurant in the North End. You don't know what it's called. I have no idea what it's called. Because we it, don't do free promos. It's something they be paying us Italian. If we're promote it. And if you want me to actually say the full name, yes, you have to. <laughs> you have to cough in some more gift cards. So anyway, we went, and my dad was telling me that he listened to the segment on WGBH, and, and we've clipped from them before. Um, a Jim, lot. Jim Brody and uh, Marjorie. And he was saying, oh, they had this uh, MIT professor who was really smart. And he was talking about rent control. And I was like, oh, like what, what was the issue? And he goes, oh, he was talking about how uh, Charlie Baker's housing plan is a bad idea because even if you expand housing and they could expand just luxury developments and that necessarily won't uh, help costs. And I'm just like, oh, okay, good. The guy knows what he's talking about. And then I listened to the segment and it, and it was the complete opposite. Yes. 
And so how I interpreted that was my father remembered hearing something smart about housing. He remembered listening to an MIT professor and he assumed the MIT professor was saying something smart. Oh, yeah. But in reality, it was us. We are the smart ones. Yeah, uh, especially in this case. But after listening to it, because he falls back on this study that Boston Globe has been citing a lot. So we're going to debunk or at least discuss the study a little bit because this will be an argument that we hear over the next year or two is this uh, study that came out of San Francisco. But then we're also going to make fun of him because on top of him not... Because um, who it is. We'll get to that. I, I, apparently, it's an actual... Uh, person with some history. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, not knowing what he's talking about, which I didn't know. I was happy to just leave it as random MIT professor doesn't know, know what he's talking about. But Lauren did the, did a deep dive into it. And this guy, some, I guess some real heads will remember. But do you want to go right into the segment? Let's go into the segment. Let's see what he's got to say. I'm curious to see what he has to okay. say about So Rachel. again, uh, just so we're not, I don't know, deliberately stealing too much uh wgbh interview jim brody uh madri egan introducing or interviewing john gruber mit economist uh, let's play clip number one herb i should start by saying this is not a radical view among economists the economists have long been opposed to rent control uh and like the reason is Theoretically, because we're concerned that ultimately, if you limit the price that you can charge for something, you'll limit the extent to which it's applied to the market. That was a theoretical concern, but what really inspired me to care about this topic was a very important recent study which came out of San Francisco, where what happened was in 1994, they newly rent-controlled certain types of housing. And what happened was really what economists predicted would happen. The landlords of that type of housing pulled it from the rental market converted it to high-end condos. And as a result, the supply of that kind of rental housing fell by 15%. Okay, so before I actually talk about San Francisco study, because it's important, he led that off as saying, well, I mean, this isn't like an abstract. Economists all agree on this, which is completely wrong. Some economists are for rent control. Some economists are against it. This is not like the understanding the climate crisis where 99% of right. actual scientists are in agreement on something. One, um, economics is not a science. It belongs to the humanities. It's like it's, it's a lot more in line with history or sociology or philosophy than anything to do with the science department. So that's one thing. But all right, the San Francisco study. Let's actually talk about it because... This is something that, again, the Globe has been using and a lot of the anti-rent control, the landlords, they keep citing this study as proof that rent control is bad. So I'm going to very quickly bring it up on my computer here so I can actually cite the authors. So this came out last year, 2019, from uh, Rebecca Diamond, Tim McQuaid, Franklin Kwan. And it's a, it studied what happened in San Francisco when they instituted rent control. And whenever you're looking at any study, and this is going to be, again, this is your heavy vegetable segment. So, now I mean, I would call it the meat. All right, you'd call it the meat. Whenever you're looking at any study, you look at two different things. You look at where did the study get its funding, and then you look at how did they conduct the study. And to be honest, I didn't do the first part. I, because if you know, if ExxonMobil... Um, issues a study about, oh, you know what? Oil is actually great for the environment. Right. Well, you know who's paying for it, so you can almost automatically just dismiss it on hand. 
And I think uh, these are just professors at uh, a local university. And, you know, some professors, they have like certain career tracks and known for certain things. They have their own incentives. A lot of wealthy people donate to to universities who have their own agendas. But I'm not uh, addressing uh, their funding. And the second part is how is the study conducted? And I'm going to give this props, this study props too. They actually did a great job with how they conducted it. I don't know if you knew this, but I did education research and I trained in qualitative and quantitative research methods. Hundred thousand dollars. That's why he has a master's degree, folks. Exactly. And 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 the actual methods they, they did to use this was good. And just very quickly, so 1979, San Francisco issued rent control. And almost similar to what's uh, on the tenant bill here, if you had a five-unit house or less, you're exempt. Okay. And what ended here, I think up, it's three. Um, I think it's four here. Four. Okay. And so that was from 1979 to 1994. In 1994, they got rid of that exemption. And the reason they did that was because large businesses just started buying five-unit housing, four-unit housing, and to, to use this loophole. Right. So they just have a bunch of multifamilies. Yeah. So rather than having one large apartment complex, businesses were just like, all right, we're going to use the loophole and just buy this housing. So residents of San Francisco were just like, F you, you can't do that anymore. They closed that exemption. But then they kind of pivoted with like, if your house was built, I think it's 1980. If it was built before that, you still get the exemption. If it was constructed after that, you don't get it. So what this created was two different pools. Some right. people were still in the rent control section. Some people lost that protection. And they measured well, what happened. And the two big findings of this was one, because that exemption no longer existed, they stopped building this type of unit. So... According to them, the housing stock went down, which it did, and rents went up, which it also did. And that is the core argument against rent control. They say if you have rent control, it's going to lower production and it's going to increase cost. The housing shortage. Yes. And that is what happened here in San Francisco. Now, but there's a lot of reasons that that happens. Yeah. It's not just because of this one uh, law, because of how uh, property... Um, investments work because if one house goes up, it affects the property value around it. So nothing exists in a bubble, but still that is what they found. But they also found something else that he doesn't talk about, which was also, according to the study, having rent control lowers evictions. Yes. Having rent control, the people who still benefited from rent control in the San Francisco study were more likely to stay in their homes. Which is important. Yes. Which is very, very important that rent control helps people stay in their homes. So the big thing before we go to the next clip that I want everyone to remember is whenever anyone brings up this dumb San Francisco study and all they take away from it is that rent went up, you can also say, did you read the study? Because the study also (laughs) said that it helps families stay in their homes. So it pointed out something good and something bad. So whenever they use the first part, you come back with them with the second part. But okay, so that's the San Francisco study. Thank you for letting me nerd out about that for just a second. That was the meat, for sure. No, no, that was the salad. That was... Oh, that was just the salad. That was just the salad. All right, lock and load, folks. Okay. Let's okay. No, no, no. Now we go to data. now we go to the meat because now we can <laughs> we're gonna make fun of him for a little bit. Okay. Um, and now let's uh, let him explain his argument. Clip number two: Why supply, supply, supply is not. I don't know the domain. Well, writ large, the answer is the same one that you hear all the time, which is supply, supply, supply. So, so writ large. The way to lower prices is to build more supply. It's, you know, the laws of economics work. Um, What does that mean in practice? In practice, that means removing the existing regulatory barriers to expanding supply. Okay. So I want everyone to remember that phrase, the law of economics work. 
The invisible hand? The invisible hand. Well, one, and I, I mentioned this before, economics is not a science. So they use phrases like the law of economics because they want you to think of Newton's law. They want you to think of the laws of gravity and physics. Right. As if it's the same. As if me dropping my little stress ball is the same as market supply and demand. And just to, and we've already, we've debunked this multiple times, why the supply, the supply, supply is not the answer, because it has to do with what type of supply. And the biggest piece of evidence we have for that, we don't need to go to San Francisco, we can look at what happened here in Cambridge. Yes. When we got rid of rent control in 94, housing skyrocketed, production skyrocketed. We've been going through one of the largest housing booms in the country for almost two decades now. Have prices gone down? No. Have rents gone down? We have all the evidence right here that this massive housing boom has not resulted in lowering prices. We can dismiss this entire argument by just looking at Cambridge in the last two decades. Housing prices have more than doubled. So if the core is just supply, 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 anyone who lives in Massachusetts knows that that's not true. Right. And so just also remember that point. And now they enter a very fun banana land, uh, basically just saying it's okay for landlords to openly break the law. And this was such a funny pivot. And it doesn't, and the smartest person on this, it's not Jim, it's not Madre, it's definitely not this MIT guy. It's a random caller calls in later and debunks what they're talking about. Nice. So I saved her clip later. But first, can we go to clip number three, just about the landlords? Control, too. Is you, you could tell which apartments were rent control when you drove by them because the rent control apartments were all falling apart right. and, the, and the apartments that weren't rent control were but kept But that's up. not a good argument. The answer is... It's if a you pretty have rent good argument. Do you, you want to live in a place that's full of if vermin have, and cockroaches? If you have rent control, it's, and if it's the law of a state or a jurisdiction, it's incumbent upon the local government body to make sure that the landlord doesn't screw no, the that's people a very who nice, live there. That's, that's, a very the, nice that's fine in theory, but it doesn't work in practice. But once again, <laughs> does everyone get what they're just talking about? I mean, like Marjorie is saying that, oh, like the rent control units were kept in the lowest state of repair, which they deliberately were to help to try to get tenants to leave. So that then they could uh, right. transition it because like sometimes in some rental units, if once that original person leaves, now you can convert it to something else. Right. And like we've seen this well, pub, uh, just public housing for decades. Yeah. They were left in a state of disrepair to then make them um, basically unlivable so people would have to move out to try to justify, look, the system doesn't work. Look at these houses. Or some kind of, something's not the code and it's yes. the tenants are the ones that yes. take, have to take and them. And then Jim challenges this with saying, well, yeah, the landlords are breaking the law. We just right. need stronger tenant protections. And again, John Gruber, the MIT professor, was just like, yeah, but you know, in practice that doesn't work. So it's okay. We, we're just going to let landlords openly break the law, which I just thought was funny. <laughs> I thought it was just funny that they... Both um, John Gruber and Marjorie just conceded, yeah, but landlords are always going to rip off their tenants. So, you know, what are we going to do? But also shout out to Jim for being like on this for so long. I, I, I mean, I, I told, uh, I, I guess Jim was a lawyer and after, and you know, I've li- I do listen to them almost daily mm-hmm. and he, it'd be interesting. I, I bet if he joined DSA, you could start slowly peeling back some, you know, just decades of liberal thought. But then we have a caller call in to actually cleans up this issue because what they also say is that rent control departments, landlords don't want to take care of it because it's, they're going to just be spending more of their money and they can't raise the rents, which is, again, we all know that that's BS anyway. We don't have rent control now. All of us live in apartments now, which are in this state of disrepair, because at the end of the day, landlords are only going to be 
focused on increasing their own profit. So uh, rent control in and of itself doesn't matter. But somebody actually calls in who used to work for the Cambridge Rent Control Department nice. and cleans up this issue. Let's... Hi, Marjorie. Hi, Jim. Hey. Hi. Hi. So I called because I used to work at Cambridge Rent Control for eight years. Um, I was there until it was abolished in 1995. And um, I'd like to clear up a bunch of misconceptions about how the system actually worked. Please. People were allowed to increase the rents if they documented that they had invested in the property. So any improvements they made, they got the cost of those improvements built into the rent over the useful life of the improvements. So, for example, you... Okay. So I, I cut her off because she kind of goes on like a weird tangent of explaining this. <laughs> but basically what she cleared up, which is, again, another good arrow in the quiver is if landlords, from how rent control works in Cambridge, if landlords made an investment in the property, I don't know, clean up the kitchen, install the second bathroom, whatever, they could then document that and then justify increasing rent. Right, but and they would have to go and document that. And I think that we had spoken about that on one of our old shows, how they just thought that was too much of a hassle. Yeah, you, you can write it down. <laughs> so rent control did not stop landlords from making investments. And so that was a very important thing to uh, to clear up. So thank you to the caller, whoever uh, whoever she was. Yeah, I would like to find out who she was and have her call in. Yeah, that actually, that actually be really cool. Yeah. I, I can figure out her name because I think she said it earlier, and yeah. I just like cut the clip in a weird way. So all right, just to quickly recap, San Francisco study it showed it had some negative effects, it had some positive effects in terms of rent control. Supply, 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 we all know by now is BS. You can just look at what's happening. The housing explosion in Boston, rents have doubled, just adding to it doesn't work. So originally, that was my plan, just to kind of quickly talk about that. Now, right. again, Frank will know who the smart people are versus John and all that. But John made the earlier comment of uh, the law of economics. And in the San Francisco study, they also said something very similar while I was reading it. Uh, I'm just taking one clip from it. Um, this 15 uh, percentage point reduction in the rental supply of small multifamily housing, which likely led to rent increases in the long run, is consistent with standard economic theory. So again, what they are, what they are saying, what John said before, was by our basic understanding of economics with supply and demand, what we're saying probably makes sense. Yeah, well, so what you know what he teaches at MIT is microeconomics? and public finance and policy. So I guess that's part of the, the curriculum, is that invisible hand. The fact that this gentleman teaches microeconomics is like, appalling, right? No, no, is appalling <laughs> once we show the next clip that we're talking about. All right. And it's either intellectually appalling in that he doesn't know what he's talking about, but it's actually, I think, a little bit deeper. And I think the clip that you find speaks to it too. Uh -huh. I think it's a little bit more morally abhorrent than it is intellectually. But let's let him talk about markets for a quick second. So I you guys know this. I have enormous faith in the ability of the government to improve markets. Mm. Um, I just feel like <clears throat> you want to start by the government improving markets where the market mechanism is clearly not working. In housing, it's too unaffordable. But that doesn't mean the market isn't working. What does it mean? It means that we need to figure ways to redistribute to poor people to make sure they can afford housing. But by going in and creating Byzantine regulations – like Marjorie's talking about, that doesn't obviously make things better. And I think we need to consider whether rent control – if a market's broken, the government can come in and make it better. If a market's unaffordable, 
then it's an open question whether the government can make it better. And that's where you look to the evidence. And I- okay. Did anyone kind of catch like what he is almost saying, but pulls back a little bit and then tries to restate? So he begins it with, um, I'm a big fan of government helping in the markets. You all know that. Ooh. Oh, we got a caller. Um, yeah, let's take it. Let's take it. I mean, I was wrapping up my thesis, but that's fine. You Good were time. totally doing a thesis. Um, hello? Hello? Who's this? It's Rod. Oh, Rod. Oh, oh Rod, you couldn't let me finish my thesis? Call back and like... No, 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 no. Um, no, no, because... No, no, that's called the teaser. This is the teaser. So can you call us in 10 minutes? Oh, so yeah, that, no, I wasn't it? listening. I, I'm... Uh, yeah, I'll just call in 10 minutes. I don't know. Okay, because I want to hear everything about okay. what's going on down in South Carolina. That's going to be like... Give us like 10 or 15 because I'm really excited to share that, people. I'm going to tease yeah, it. Yeah, just, just mess... Just message me when you want me to do it. Okay, I know you're like down there and everything's chaotic, so I understand. But yes, uh, yeah, coming yeah. up, folks, a teaser. Rod's going to be calling in and like for a South Carolina political update. Yeah, we're going to talk about all those candidates down there. So call back in like ten or fifteen. Okay. I'll message you. Okay, great, awesome. All right, all right, bye. All right, the only references I can make is sexual. I'm not going to make any. What, what Rod just wait? Did. No, I actually no 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 no. Um, just building to it. Yes. But okay. Very edgy. Very edgy. So Maybe even Buddhist edgy. <laughs> you kept making that joke to, to hates too. This, like, they literally have boot edge edge. And all I could think was like booty edge edge, like on in my twisted brain. It is about, more sexual than I thought. I'm just like, yeah, no, that's common using pronunciations. Like I was trying to explain it to you as like a campaign tactic. And you're just like, oh, but it's silly. Yeah. All right. Anyway. Okay. Fundamental fine. concepts of market economics. It's the meat, people. Stick with us. All right. Oh, yeah. This is this is the this is the meat. Rob's the dessert. This is like, yeah, just when the meal hits you good. Rob's the pudding. So w- what he says is that. I'm a big fan of markets, uh, government helping with the markets. You all know this. I don't know why I gave him a little bit of a Trump voice. That he says, but the markets are too un- unaffordable, but that doesn't mean it isn't working. And then Jim hears that and cuts him off. And he's like, what right. does that mean? They just think of that line. It's too unaffordable, but that doesn't mean it isn't working. It's working for the investors. And then he, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and like he's starting to get to it. And I, I bet you if I had a one-on-one conversation with John, I could get him to admit this. But then he quickly pivots and he calls um, rent control Byzantine regulation, which is such a snooty like aristocratic way of just saying, I'm going to use a fancy word to like belittle this thing. All I think of is like mosaics and like history class. If I asked him what year was the Byzantine Empire, if he came within three centuries, I'd be impressed. But anyway, he he addressed rent control as the Byzantine regulation. And then he he talked again about how just because the market the governments can fix a, fix a market that is broken. Actually, Herb, do you mind just replaying the clip? All right, because this is yeah. important. You guys know I have enormous faith in the ability of the government to improve markets. Mm. Um, I just feel like you want to start by the government improving markets where the market mechanism is clearly not working. In housing, it's too unaffordable. But that doesn't mean the market isn't working. What does it mean? It means that we need to figure ways to redistribute to poor people to make sure they can afford <laughs> housing. But by going in and creating Byzantine regulations like Marjorie's talking about, that doesn't obviously make things better. And I think we need to consider whether rent control – if a market's broken, 
the government can come in and make it better. If a market's unaffordable, then it's an open question whether the government can make it better. And that's where you look to the evidence. That I okay. So we have made this point before, and I'm going to echo it, and I have a nice book here, which I think in one sentence encapsulates this. Rent control, tenant protections, um, getting representation in case you're facing an eviction, public housing even, all of these things. These are all band-aids over what is the inherent flaw in our housing, and that is that housing is a commodity. It is not addressing it as a public need. Housing is a commodity to be bought and sold on a market. And what John is alluding to, is quickly referencing, is that the market is working with our current housing stock. The because all works. this is, all a house is, is a commodity. It's a stapler. It's something which is bought and sold, and it's going to be bought and sold to the highest price. Right. And that's all we have right now. And that's okay. Because that's what markets do. And you need money to participate in a market. And so that's why he quickly says redistribute, which is like the R word for someone like him is very interesting. I, I have a feeling he doesn't mean redistribution the way that I mean <laughs> redistribution. But he is addressing that markets will not actually help provide housing for poor people because poor people can't participate in the market. Right. Like, he doesn't deliberately say that, but, but, but he knows that. That's in his head. And I don't think he would... I mean, you've shown me some clips that he does put his foot in his mouth. Oh, God, like, he does. I'm sure at some dinners, he just... And for him, that's fine. Yeah. For him, it just... Yeah, the markets work. And, He's a um, ten-year professor at MIT. What's he got to worry about? So uh, I've been reading a book. I actually very rarely read about housing. Um, so it's called In Defense of Housing. Came out in 2016. Just to reference the authors, David Madden, Peter Marcus. Hold it up. Uh, incredible book. I actually might reach out to them when I'm done. Yeah, they should probably days. sponsor us. Well, I don't know if they can afford to sponsor us, but like to talk okay. about Okay, well, they can come on the show. Um, and and they're, and they're aligned for this, which I thought was great, and it, it flowed in uh, perfectly with this, is the ability to pay is unequal, while the need for a place to live is universal. And then, and there is, is the unavoidable contradiction. I'm going to say it again. The ability to pay is unequal. Some people have money. Some people don't. Black families in Boston have $8 of wealth. Right. The ability to pay is unequal, but the need for a place to live is universal. And a market cannot solve that because you have to have money to participate in a market. Right. So even though John you is... You have a lot of money to participate in this market. Yes. Yeah, so even though John is wrong about um, going fully into what happens in the San Francisco study, even though John is wrong about... Um, just providing more supplies and to fix this problem. He's not just wrong on those technical levels, but he is almost understands at a moral level that this is what markets do. And that's what they do. And there's nothing we can do about it. There isn't this whole other system called socialism that might address things as a public need versus just a commodity to increase profits. But he understands that. And that's why it's so funny. Like when you listen to uh, the professors or, any right wing, even just liberal economist, because they have to tie themselves in knots to avoid discussing this contradiction. And, and they, they have to keep publishing studies and just snip it from little studies and then try to use fancy words because the innate contradictions of the system cannot be um, avoided. And unless you're willing to take that step and say, maybe housing shouldn't be a commodity. Maybe it should just be a public good. Maybe it should be publicly controlled. Maybe we need uh, the government to just 
uh, take responsibility of housing and not allow it up to a market. If you're not willing to take that step, then you have to just wiggle in these contradictions. Torturous. And, Torturous and, wiggling. And that's why they're so easy to rip on and make fun of. And especially someone like John now, that <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure he knows this. Yes, he I'm, absolutely knows I, this. From that, um, it's too unaffordable, but that doesn't mean it's working. He knows it. Yes. Which means he's just doing this for a paycheck. Yes. In fact, sometimes multiple paychecks at the same time. So, all right. So that was my part. And that's how I, I don't make things personal. It's part of like, I don't know, socialism is, I don't really care about the individual and what this, but I mean, a tenured professor, he's on a radio program. I'm going to debunk him and call him an idiot. But Lauren likes to look into these people's histories, but I guess like he does have a history. Do you want to explain who John is? Oh, John Gruber. Um, you know, I like to dig up some dirt and talk some smack and I guess I can say shit. I'll mark this episode explicit. Um, he is well known for a ripping off states, uh, as well as putting his foot in his mouth and really setting people against things like the Affordable Care Act, as well as, um, overcharging states to research into single payer healthcare, like in Vermont, and then getting sued for it. And he just kind of gets fired from like everything he does apparently, except, uh, MIC. So his name is Jonathan Gruber. Um, He's just in this egghead, okay? Like, I don't, I, they, people keep talking to him like his opinion is valid. Well, so, so um, during the segment, uh, Frank sent me his, like, bio. Yeah. And, like, it, and of course it sounds, um. Oh, yeah, it's like MIT. He's a Ford professor of economics, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. He's a member of the Institute of Medicine. He's published more than 175 research articles. Again, think of what we just did. And yes. how easy he it was to just pick apart, not his technical arguments, but his innate, uh, contradictions. Yes. 175 research articles. He's edit, edited six research volumes. He's the author of countless books. Uh, 2001, he was named one of the top 25 most innovative and practical thinkers of our time. Which again... Practical, maybe. Innovative, not so much. All these accolades, awards, they mean nothing. Right. It is an internal... I'm going to use the phrase circle jerk of people of, oh, I'm going to publish you in my magazine. And then in turn, you're going to get me this speaking spot. And then in turn, our friends are going to give you this award. And that's all it is. These, none of like that resume means nothing that they know what they're talking yes, about. Yes. And he's actually like back on his bullshit because he's getting into this rent control argument. But actually in around 2014, 2015, he was known as an MIT health economist who worked uh, writing the bill of Romney Care as well as Obamacare. And listen, Obamacare, Romney Care helps me a lot at the end of the day because my company doesn't provide health insurance. I'm not even knocking that, but what this guy says about, you know, he is he is being a, like, a patsy. Like, he's not actually, he's trying to do these things that actually still help, in, we're still helping health insurance companies and kind of like halfway measures that were more expensive. And he also said this about uh, transparency, Herb. Let's get the other clip. Uh, this became something known as Grubergate. It's just, you can't do it politically. You just literally cannot do it. Okay, transparent financing, and let's have transparent financing, also transparent spending. I mean, the, this bill was written in a tortured way to make sure CBO did not score the mandate as taxes. If CBO scored the mandate as taxes, the bill dies. Okay, so it was written to do that. In terms of, in terms of risk-rated subsidies, if you had a law which said healthy people are gonna pay in it made explicit the health people pay and the sick people get money. It would not have passed. Okay, just like the people, transparent lack of transparency is a huge political advantage, and basically, you know, call it the stupidity of the American voter or whatever. 
But basically, that was really, really critical to getting the thing to pass. And you know, it's the second best argument. Look, I wish Mark was right. We could make it all transparent. But I'd rather have this law than not. So it's kind of like his reporter story. You know, yeah, there's things I wish I could change, but I'd rather have this law than not. Do you want to preface first and then make So he was referring to the Affordable <coughs> Care Act. Um, okay. This is the only preference I'm going to give for the Affordable Care Act. Everyone, uh, it expanded coverage of 20 million people. It gave an actual concrete definition of what insurance means. So even though prices did increase, people then actually had health insurance. It wasn't just you got a Band-Aid if you had to go to the ER. So the Affordable Care, uh, Care Act was a good step. Now, do you want to talk about him calling the stupidity of voters yeah, see, or his whole... Basically, he does, You know, he should probably not ever be given a mic because while he wrote... Uh, actually, he wrote a lot of Romney care and um, what ended up being the sort of uh, base of the you know, Obamacare, Affordable Care Act that did give a lot of people health insurance. You know, but he was also paid millions and millions of dollars to write these things and study these things. And he did not disclude the insurance companies in the process. And he, you know, was going around writing this stuff and doing this research as this end. And also anytime he opened his mouth, put it, you know, just put his foot in the mouth, his mouth. And Fox jumped all over this after this interview. Yeah, I mean, which they absolutely should. And basically and he wrote these bills. And then afterwards, Obama and Romney were just like, we don't know him. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad they cut him out. Yeah, he got um, cut out. Um, he also, uh, I'm not from Vermont, so I don't know the details on this like too precisely, but he was uh, contracting to write a single-payer care uh, piece of legislation in Vermont and uh, was actually uh, charged with uh, embezzlement. Or He basically claimed that he, he basically submitted multiple invoices, even though he only had one resident or one uh, research assistant, I was going to say RA, but research assistant, not RA. Um, and uh, so it was like the amount of hours that like that one RA could have worked were, that would have been impossible. And it was also $500 an hour is what these invoices were for. And I'm not so, going to say this is all alleged. Well, yes, because there was, there was to a, sue us. basically there was a settlement and, um, Oh, you settled like we could talk about. Yeah. That. And yeah, exactly. There was a settlement and the state of Vermont settled it. And he said, you know, and nobody had to pay anybody that basically it all just kind of got wiped away. But a lot of people in Vermont will remember this. Um, we've had listeners and, and, uh, friends of mine reach out and say, was this the same John Gruber that got like charged in Vermont for this? I'm like, yeah, he's back on his bullshit. So he kind of just does like whatever for the highest bidder. It and seems put his it. foot in his mouth the whole way through. And just that phrase, blame the stupidity on the voter yeah. while they hit it, that does encapsulate what was one of the biggest uh, failings of the Obama administration. Well, I mean, uh, I can focus this just on the, um, the Affordable Health Care Act, but basically they, and like, listen to them, we didn't make it transparent which is also why it was so confusing for people. Right. Which is also why it was so easy to be a target. Right. Because you didn't explain things. And, but it also points to, and this is, I don't think I've talked about this. It's a, it's a concept called the submerged state, which is people like this and Obama, because ultimately he hired these people. They were, it was all these little fixes and they were saying, but we're not going to tell the people that we're doing this. Which is the exact opposite of how a representative democracy is supposed to work. George Bush, when he did their tax cuts, he mailed people an individual check with George Bush's name on it saying, I gave you this money. Right. Obama also did a tax cut to working middle class people, but they hid it. 
they didn't tell anyone when they did it. So then you couldn't attribute it to Obama. So then it's you can keep bashing him for not doing anything. And that, that was the whole thing. People are too stupid that you can't tell them we're doing this. And it's just this elitism. And it, it's honest to God, it's exactly why we resulted in Trump in some capacity. Because <laughs> it's just this arrogance of people like this. Yeah. That your, your voters are too dumb. That you, you, you can't explain CBO scoring. There are plenty of people that like we can explain, like, and that's what they try to get Bernie with. With, and I know we don't normally go into national stuff, but they try to get Bernie with, like, well, how are you going to pay for it? Bernie just comes out and says, yeah, your taxes will go up, but overall your costs will go down. At the end of the day, you'll have more money in your pocket. And guess what? The average American voter goes, yeah, that makes sense. Right. You can explain things to, to people like that. And John Gruber is a great representation of this level of arrogance yeah. that people have. Because I've written in 175 scholarly reviews. You have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> to be fair, this is... <laughs> to be fair. Par for the, to be fair. <laughs> to be fair. This is par for the course for MIT. If you want to get something overcomplicated. Um, if we have any listeners who go to MIT and would like to... Do any of you guys take his classes? I would love to hear from you, too. Um... But, you know, basically he kind of made, he actually was a huge risk for uh, the Affordable Care Act. And, you know, everybody, everybody that had worked on that with him had distanced himself after he said that they called it Grubergate. It became national news because he called out the stupidity of the American voter. And um, then he went on to screw up the Vermont single payer bill and they ended up just firing him and just kind of bailing on it. All right. It was too expensive. Um, so. so that was John Gruber, everyone. John Gruber. He's back on his bullshit, and he is coming for rent control, so watch out. Um, all right, well, now that I know his name, I will try to keep out uh, a look. I know they, uh, he did an editorial in the Globe. Which, he's like, back. It's weird because it's not even his thing, and he's just, like, back, like, doing, like, he's just, he's like, oh, this is the issue. I want to just throw my bullshit into. I, th- I mean, after we achieve Medicare for all, knock on wood, housing is next. And, right. and, yeah. and, and how, and I mean, in Massachusetts, um, comparatively to other uh, states, we do a good job with insurance. Again, comparable to other states. I'm not saying we do um, a good job in a vacuum in and of itself. But, but housing is an issue here in Massachusetts. And so now if you want to make your name, if you want to take some money, be some elite economist at MIT and start talking about, well, you know, that these people are too dumb. You think you want rent control, but actually it's going to hurt you. And again, these people don't know what they're talking about. But um, I guess staying on national stuff, you want to text if Rod wants to call in? Yeah. Rather than in the middle of my thesis. I've actually actually been linked to a pretty interesting New Yorker article (laughs) uh, in the group chat. Thank you, Zach, um, about Gruber and Grubergate. And I remember this being on The Daily Show a little bit. Nice. Like, I remember this being, like, sort of national, so that's sort of what I brought up. I know it was more of a conservative thing to go attacking him and attacking Obama by proxy, um, but I, I I don't know. I think you should just go back to teaching microeconomics and staying out of I mean, public I, policy. <laughs> I don't know if he has a good handle on that, to be honest. But, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, well, speaking of Rod... Rod, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm quickly bringing up, and, and we're going to ask him about this, but I guess as a transition uh, while you sent him a text. So there was a, another right-wing, super-happy, fun event this oh, weekend. Oh, yes. And Rod, not only is he quoted in the article, but he actually gave Boston Globe the title of the article. 
Which oh, how come the internet version is different? No, I have to um, I have to bring you, up Rod's quote. So okay, a background story. Evan has like magical um, heralds and globe link powers on Twitter. So if you follow, you mean him, I pay? Yeah, he pays <laughs> and he like manages. I hope you don't get in trouble for me calling you out for this. But like, if you like click the links he posts, I I don't pay and I can read them. All right, well I'll I'll keep trying it. Yeah, so I'm just like just tweet everything you read. I mean, I, so if you follow me, uh, egeorge1215, um, I, I basically, I tweet while I'm reading the news. And he doesn't know how he does it. Yeah, I, I can't figure it out just either. Like, uh, he's like, how do, yeah, um, he beats the paywall. So. But all right, so Rod's quote is, idiots spewing idiotic nonsense. And mm, the yes. Herald, at least in their electronic version, for some reason on my phone, it's different than the computer, which is interesting. Uh, they took that from him. And uh, once he calls in, we'll ask him some more concrete questions about it. But just to his quote, while being interviewed by a health reporter, uh, they're just idiots spewing idiotic nonsense over and over again, disregarding the fact that people within their group sport Nazi tattoos and wave Nazi flags. There we go. Oh, right on cue. Hello. You back, Ron? Maybe. We think so. Hey. Hey. We're here. We're just idiots spewing idiotic nonsense over here. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> How's it going? All fine. Um, sitting in this Marriott hotel after there's uh, this Democratic dinner, uh, which is somehow associated with the debate. I'm guessing that I. I there's just, there's just a lot of folks that I've recognized from the other various things, and it seems like this is the big, uh, the coronavirus or the hive mind of all the, <laughs> the greasy little Democrats buzzing around like bugs. It's the cockroach hive. Wow. Um, all right, so so you are in uh, South Carolina ahead of the primary, which is this Saturday, and the debate is, I believe, tomorrow night. And so... What are you doing down there? Are you trolling? Are you filming? Are you trying to ask the candidates questions? Tell us about what brought you to South Carolina. I think it's a little bit of all of the above. Uh, generally, my rule of thumb is that I give a serious and fair question uh, without getting carried away, just as a normal person would have in normal conversation, the way that uh, in the press would ask, you know, a, a friend, you know, just uh, that normal level of decorum, to use everyone's uh, favorite word. Uh, but when that doesn't happen, um, then I'm open to trolling of, of various kinds. Um, I just just went to a Joe Biden thing, and that was off the hook. What happened? <laughs> off the damn. <laughs> um, well, uh, so I was just, I was walking up and down the so I, I also I should also say uh, before I get into it uh, that Joe Biden has already found himself on the troll list. Uh, but on this particular night, I decided, well, you know, I'm just uh, to new town. I'm going to go as the regular reporter and I'm asking questions, uh, people who are lined up for his event. And then as I'm waiting around, I see uh, Jordan Klepper and Roy Wood Jr. from The Daily Show, who had actually just had a weird incident with his producers about an hour before, but that's an aside. 
um, basically when all the people had pretty much got into Joe Biden's rally, um, I was around for Biden himself because, you know, I'd rather just talk to Biden himself than sit through another one of his god awful rallies. I mean, they're <laughs> just they're just horrible. I mean, any of these things are just horrible. So why not just go to the door where they're going to be showing up? And so I saw a huge contingent of Joe Biden people holding Biden signs, making a little marching ant uh, parade, uh, you know, to go around the backside of the building. So I just kind of uh, joined their group and walked around to the back. And there was uh, it was going to be a, a meeting in the parking lot, you could tell. And there was kind of a small opening uh, where one of the, the staffers said, well, you know, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm pressed. And then she did the whole, yeah, I can't be here thing. And I did the whole, you know, it's a public place, like right. you're making it weird. <laughs> and then she, Don't make me call my producer. She, well, exactly. And yeah, by the way, I decided to come nice today. But, you know, now what you're doing, uh, like, I don't have time to run to my car and get the helmet, but <laughs> it ain't going to be nice tonight. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry you had to make it this way, um, but it's totally on you. Um, so she, she called up uh, to one of her special people to this special piece. And as she's doing that, I was like, yoink, and just jumped through the space when she was, she was kind of turned away. She's like, you can't do that. You can't go. I'm like, it's a public place. That's I can right. go wherever I want. And she came over where, where there was about the 20 of the marcher ants that had their signs. They'd formed in a half circle, a conch shell, if you will. And and there was a bunch of explaining by her to the group that, well, we didn't want to have anyone here recording it, but here's a member of the press, and he's going to be here. And I just kind of jumped in like, First Amendment, right? It's cool. We're still doing that. Isn't, <laughs> isn't that what you're about? And and so a bunch of them were like, yeah, that, yeah, he can stay. What what are you talking about? Like, what's the problem? Oh, good. Um, which was actually sensible of, and, and I should say it was a couple of them. It was like two out of the 20 people. So basically about 90% of them were just ambivalent and like, I, I don't know, who is this guy? <laughs> like, uh, but yeah, like a couple of people were like, yeah, he can stay. And which was kind of weird because I'm like, this isn't, it shouldn't really be a question of whether I can or can't stay. Like, and so, so did, did you actually story, get to ask Biden any questions? Did he come out? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm getting to that. I'm getting to that. Okay. Um, so He's setting the story, scene. Like a cop, a cop car pulls up with the blue lights. And I'm thinking, okay, so they're coming to me. Uh, another security guy comes out. He stands behind me. Uh, and then the main person who initially gave me flack starts getting the crowd worked up and trying to practice chants. And a bunch of them said, yeah, I think it's a little bit late to learn the chants. <laughs> <laughs> so, Wait, Joe Biden has so, his own chants? Uh, the chant is, let's go, Joe. That's what, but they were trying some more complicated ones, and, and the crowd was just like, yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> you want to wait for this kind of, yeah. kind of coordination. We've already had three primaries. Like, we don't have a, a chant by now. Oh, some of them have dances. We'll get into that. <laughs> oh, uh, there's uh, there's J-O-J-O-E-J-O-E in the 603. 
the New Hampshire people actually had a couple. I mean, that's they're all terrible. Let's let's just get that out of the way first. They're all terrible. But the New Hampshire people did have a few. Uh, so basically, uh, I I always know that you kind of stand your ground when when this stuff happens, and invariably they got a bunch of people on the phones and the speakers, and they're going to communicate that Joe's going to jump out on the other side of the car, uh, you know, like away from where I'm standing. And I always know. That soon as the cars pull up, I'm going to the other side, mm-hmm. and I and I immediately move, and that's exactly what happened. But they actually had three big uh, SUVs this time, which made it a little bit harder. But I was correct in going to the other side, and then there was just a massive swarm of cops and security people oh. that, like coming around behind me, and I and I kept saying, "Guys, like First Amendment, like like just be chill." And to their credit, they didn't put their hands on me, but okay. they were making a big swarm. Yeah. And so when the SUVs came to a stop, I just stood there giving the impression like I wasn't about to troll the shit out of them <laughs> um, because, because I knew with the amount of them that they would be loud enough to drown me out. So mm-hmm. the key is in circumstances like that is let them get all the cheering done and there will be that moment where – where the sound dies down, and he says, yo, thank you for having me here. Boom. As soon as he says that, um, I mean, because there's a split second of silence, and I'd say, Joe Biden, you wrote the Patriot Act, which arguably will usher in a thousand years of darkness in George Orwell. Um, <laughs> like, like, he kind of says something very quietly under his breath, but what you hear more loudly is a bunch of people saying like, who let that guy in here? What's going on? <laughs> and, and a bunch of folks like jumping in front of me, uh, like a way, you know, so the, my camera can't see anything. And they all start just like at the Trump rallies, start chanting, uh, let's go, Joe, let's go, Joe. Um, so I kind of circled around to the other side. And on the other side, I said, you know, it's not just the Patriot Act, Joe. I mean, what about all the people in Guantanamo Bay, which, you know, arguably they, you know, maybe they should be in there, but maybe they shouldn't because we haven't had transparent trials for the, you know, 9-11 was the largest crime on, on U.S. soil. Um, the Franklin Square first responders, um, the first responders are asking for a new investigation. Like, like, how dare the American public let another debate or election season go past and, and not take care of the first responders? We're dying of this stuff. So I lectured them with a little bit of that kind of stuff. And they they just, anytime I got loud, they got louder and they kind of and now, weaseled away. Were you able to record any of this? Like, do you have your phone out? Do you have a, a camera person with you? Oh, yeah. What's my name? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> of course. All right. Is this on Twitter, <laughs> at Rod Weber? <laughs> Yeah, still, I uh, just posted it at Rod Weber, R-O-D-W-E-B-E-R, on Twitter. I only posted one angle. Now, so the way that I do this is with a double phone. Uh, so I have one angle that's uh, facing my face. I have one angle facing the other way. And I did bring a little light so that I could shine, I mean, because it was dark. And I was able to shine light as necessary. You can see the expression on Joe Biden's face and all of his um, bewildered followers. Uh, <laughs> as they make fools of themselves. Um, 
So that was a lot of fun. No, that's great. Do you have any uh, plans um, and or I'm not going to use the word targets, but any other candidates that you're going to try to get to? Do you have plans for the debate itself? What are you thinking? What are you doing? Uh, well, getting to the debates itself is uh, nearly impossible. And I, I mean, even if I were to do that, it would uh, it would break my rule. So let's let's just say that uh, for somehow. Uh, I was able to uh, obtain a ticket or otherwise get in. There are people on my protected list. So Tulsi Gabbard, uh, Deval Patrick, Tom Steyer, and Bernie Sanders have all treated me well. Oh, that happened. So I wouldn't interrupt one of those. See? Huh? No, I just wanted to point, I just wanted to make a point to Evan that like Tom Steyer is a reasonable, gotta love Tom Steyer. He's just a Bernie fanboy, right? Yeah, I mean, he seems to be, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, as long as they're reasonable with me, I'll be reasonable with them. So I wouldn't, uh, you know, so I don't believe that Tulsi is going to be on, of course, uh, because of the changing of the rules in New Hampshire, of course, yeah, um, campaign. Tulsi is not on the stage. Steyer is back on the stage. Uh, Bernie obviously is. Right, um, so oh, you said Deval, Pat Deval Patrick dropped out, so he's not. <laughs> Deval's sort of not there, correct. right? No, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm aware of that, but yeah. right. No, but I'm, I'm just, I'm just explaining that there is a list. Okay. Those are the people on the list, and and Bernie Sanders is on the protected list. So, That's good. Uh, so I, you know, I wouldn't do anything on an event like that. Who's the worst? Um. Say again. Who's the worst for like it's, treatment? It's no, it's, what what candidate oh, this cycle? Uh, yeah, what candidate this cycle running for the Democratic primary has treated you with the most disrespect? Uh, Elizabeth Warren. Ooh. Ah, fascinating. That's right. Um, I, so I, I definitely I want to ask you about the Boston counter, uh, like the counter protest, because you were featured in the Herald pretty uh, predominantly. But very quickly, can you tell us the Elizabeth Warren story? Wait, wait, I was. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> so, so, so not only are you featured in it, but you gave them the headline. You gave them the title of the what? article. Yeah. yeah. All right. No. No. Okay. no. What's, what's, we're gonna we're gonna get to that second. Way? We're gonna get to that second. Can oh. you, can, you right. can you explain the Elizabeth Warren uh, story quickly, and then I'll tell you about what the Herald has to say about you. Oh, uh, so well. So, so which one? I just came from Elizabeth Warren just before Biden. Uh, before that, there was plenty of ones on the New Hampshire Trail. Okay. Uh, which one do you want to hear? So what? Uh, what put Warren on your naughty list? What what was that event that you decided that she is now going to be uh, on the trolling list? Okay, well, I I, I want to be fair that she's she's not a hundred percent on the trolling list. She's on, uh, she's on like in my mind, she's kind of landed on a fifty fifty list because she, like, uh, let's let's she's she's naughty. She's on the naughty list. Senate can't abide by these rules. <laughs> uh, but there are there are certain uh, things about her, and there's and there's actually there's there's certain things about the manner in which that she or her her staff has been naughty. And so, to my way of thinking, it has largely been more her staff. Um, so so let me explain it all uh, because it is it is complicated, and I have mixed feelings on it. Uh, so the first big one was at the New Hampshire State House in Concord, New Hampshire, 
And it was just uh, Elizabeth Warren was filing uh, along with a number of other candidates. Uh, Vermin Supreme was there. And uh, so Warren had come out after she filed to get on the ballot and went out on her stage, did her speech. And they, one of her campaign people made an announcement uh, that Elizabeth Warren does selfies with everyone. Come on. And like, and they met everyone, anyone mm-hmm. who like, and they really, they always make a big deal of that. Um, and so when they're making the announcement, they so happened to do it right where Vermin was standing and which was <laughs> at the foot of the stairs. And so Vermin was first in line. And after about 10 minutes, the state cop came out to, to take Vermin aside and said, um, sorry, but you're on our naughty list and Elizabeth will not take a selfie with you. Oh, yeah, denied. Cr- yeah. So, so obviously that cracked us up and, but you know, there, you know, beyond that, there, there wasn't anything specifically uh, that was horrifying. It was just, uh, it was, it was a disappointment. And so we were kind of just milling about uh, the Concord state house uh, listening to some of uh, uh, the little speeches that Warren was having with her supporters, and honestly, uh, not trolling. And once it all wrapped up, she gave the final selfie. Um, uh, Vermin asked her, uh, "So, Elizabeth Warren, are you know, are you open to my plan for an interstate roller coaster system?" <laughs> and, you know, to which I, I mean, she basically she just ran away. And Vermin asked it, you know, I don't know, maybe three, four, five times. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, kind of just trying to get his, his question in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and his staff members started pushing him. And he, he does, the, you know, the usual, like, you know, it's like, hey, you're assaulting me. Stop yeah. pushing me. And, you know, what authority do you have? And like, you know, we want to ask about the interstate roller coaster. <laughs> and at that stage, I was I was simply filming. I wasn't. Um, because there are some days where I'm just doing that and uh, you know honestly uh, you know she hadn't done anything to get on my naughty list until that point so uh, let's let's put it this way it's so she didn't directly do anything to me but the way that she treated my friend Vermin Supreme uh, did not it did not sit well Um, so that you know, it's just it, that's why she's kind of on the fifty-fifty list. I gotcha. Where I mean, I have I have tried to be nice. Uh, there was an event shortly after that where, you know, I went normal, normal re- reporter kind of questions, and they just they blocked me out for no reason, and I did nothing. I just uh, I just took it and and walked. You know, I mean, because I mean, it happens all the time. Uh, to various people uh, trying to report, but there's there's kind of a hierarchy and a pecking order. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you're from the New York Times or CNN, uh, you get first dibs. And I've seen this at, I mean, especially at uh, one of these Amy Klobuchar events where they don't do the press gaggle. The gaggle is where uh, everyone joins around and you get to ask questions willy-nilly. She wouldn't do them, and so you kind of have to get her while she's leaving stage or headed to the car. And so she escaped my quick question, which was, hey, you know, why wasn't Tulsi let on the stage? And don't you think you should be fighting for her to be up there? And she skirted away. And 
then I overheard her staff saying, oh, New York Times is here, you know, uh, let them in the back room. So, <laughs> well, New York Times gave the endorsement. So, you know, they have to. Uh... Well, the, you know, the funny thing is, is that I have been published in the New York Times myself, uh, not because I ever worked for them, but they actually stole my material and then published my name as if I was one of the authors and I consented to that. Ah, funny nice. story about that is that I use this to this day to say that when I'm freelance, that I I have material in the New York Times and USA Today, uh, which is absolutely 100% true. And there's probably a handful of others, but those are usually the ones that I spout out. And uh, no, that it's... actually gets me in through a couple of doors because I can point to the articles and uh, it's 100% true. Yeah, and as I say, and you can um, add on top so... of that uh, featured in the Boston Herald. Yes, that's right. Um, <laughs> you wait, haven't wait, wait, seen this article? Get to that. Uh, I saw an article, which I just, I kind of just skimmed. I didn't really look okay, at it. Okay, but wait, what um, were you going to say? So the, the thing at Elizabeth Warren today, uh, which was after the crazy thing with Buttigieg yesterday, but uh, the the Warren thing, um, I, sh I showed up and filmed a little bit and this this it was one of those 50 50 moments uh the daily show had like kind of locked the place down and they were monopolizing the sidewalk and and interviewing people for a bit which was um you know that's fine by me i, I don't think there was anything too horrible about that but i'm like hey it's a daily show i guess i'm going wacky today uh, <laughs> it wasn't necessarily for the purposes of trolling elizabeth warren it was just that hey i'm gonna put on this spaceman outfit uh which i did um and everything was cool i was kind of going around uh interviewing people or i mean not really getting a lot of interviews uh and also simultaneously campaigning uh you know uh, you worry about an imminent threat of meteor attack um you know it is it is a real thing that scientists warn about and elizabeth warren says she has a plan for everything but she does not have a plan for this <laughs> shameful both for elizabeth warren and um so when you kind of go down that comedy road, I was, you know, I was winning people over with that. Um, but so then I kind of got bored of that and went over to watch what the Daily Show was doing. And you know, mind you, I'm just kind of filming the whole thing. And one of the producers says, "Can to make sure if we move our cameras or whatever, uh, you'll be out of the way." And I said, "Sure, no, how pro no problem. How far out of the way did you be?" And so I complied, uh, which I did not have to do. Again, it was in a public space, but uh, they're fellow artists of a sort, uh, comedians, and um, I wanted to respect what they're doing. Um, and I've made the point: I'm, I'm not here to I'm not here to troll you. <laughs> you know, like you're doing right. your thing. Um, and so, unfortunately, as so many producers and overzealous campaign campaign managers do, uh, soon as I had moved and I was I, I felt I was well beyond out of the way uh one of the, they got like some tall muscle guy to just stand in front of me which is their it's an it's a standard move they do to be obnoxious and I'm like listen I just said I'd help you guys out I moved over here what are you doing dude and he's like you know don't like you know don't touch me and I'm like well I'm not touching you man like uh -huh. and so I just I moved over to a spot that was like in the shot. And they're like, well, you're in the shot. And I'm like, well, yeah, you're blocking my shot. There's a quid pro quo here. Um, you're, you're nice to me, I'm nice to you. 
And like, then you could see, you know, Klepper's kind of looking over like, you're, I'm like, I'm like, dude, like, just let me go back to where I was. And, um, so they actually, they were sensible and, and let me go back over to where I was. And, um, and it was, it was basically cool from, uh, you know, that point on. Um, but, but it wasn't af- like, it was just a, just a really angry little producer who kept like, I mean, in the, the whole interchange there, he's like, well, what are you doing? What is your job? I said, my job is to be nice to you as long as you're nice to me. And it was just, I'm like, guys, you're, aren't you comedians? And my Klepper's like, uh, producers aren't comedians. <laughs> it's just like, um, you know, you know, so I was like, I was like, yeah, come on. I, I didn't want for it to be weird, but like, there's, there's just kind of like a set of rules. Um, open spaces we can do what we want right. um respectful to other artists as long as they're respectful to me like come on guys like we want this to be nice uh but then so i saw the the producers again at the joe biden thing when they were filming their new bit and after they were done i went up and i was like see that was so easy I reached out my hand to shake his hand and he's like yeah no i i just didn't know what the deal was the other guy was, uh, you know, pushing me to push you out. And I'm like, yeah, that's whack. Like, you know, <laughs> like you, you, you got to treat people like tr- people. And like, it like, it just, it gets weird when you start, you start like pushing people. Like, like, like well, you, you didn't think that there'd be a reaction. You didn't think that would interrupt the interview. Like just, you know, and he was like, no, you're totally right. I hear what you're saying, man. All right. And, um, and I could to- I, I could totally publish their bid on Twitter, uh, but I'm not going to do that because the guy apologized and everything's cool. Okay. Um, Tensions so, are probably running pretty high. Uh, but, oh, dude, it it is crazy here. Everyone's out of their <laughs> mind. There's there's like a there's like a thousand politicians like walking in and out in front of me as we speak. Really? Right here. Uh, most of them are old and have canes. I don't know what's up with that. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of wheelchairs too, but uh, a lot of people in like like fancy nightgowns and other kind of I don't know. There's a lot of fancy stuff going on here. It's getting real loud. Wow. Um, but but then I just kind of spent the rest of the time uh, uh, trying to get spaceman voters and you know kind of like I'm the only candidate that will bring clean water to Flint and <laughs> investigate the death of Sandra Bland. And, nice. And Mike Brown uh, trying to bring up. Uh, so as much as I'm rapping in kind of silly things, I'm also bringing in serious things uh, while wearing the spaceman helmet. Yeah, as I was say, it's good to keep everyone off balance. Yeah. But um, but okay, because we have to talk about what happened on Saturday. Bring it back to Boston. So you were okay. at the counter protest for the Super Happy Fun America group, and I guess I'm breaking news to you yeah. now. Yeah, you were, like, quoted so, in the Herald uh, So I, I was reading the Herald last night, and then the title of the article is Idiot Spewing Idiotic Nonsense. And at first... <laughs> there, there you go. And at first, I, like... And then, so there's an intro paragraph. Uh, Curses and chants brimming with contempt filled the air outside uh, Boston Police headquarters. Saturdays, a flock of counter protesters gathered to oppose a Blue Lives Matter rally organized by the same group behind the controversial Straight Pride Parade. Next paragraph, leading, yeah. in, leading in with a quote. 
They're just idiots, idiots spewing idiotic nonsense over and over again, disregarding the fact that people within their group sport Nazi tattoos and wave Nazi flags. Said one, Roderick Weber. <laughs> Wait, I'm in the middle of an interview. Can we do it in a minute? Can we, hold on, hold on. Can I just... Yeah, I, yeah, keep going. Sorry, the, 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 the cops are here. I just Wait. finish it up, finish it up. <laughs> okay, so you were featured... Very quickly, before you get taken in by uh, the police, can you quickly just give us a recap of what happened, ironically, outside the police station here in Boston two days ago? All right. So, obviously, Super Happy Fun America is the group that put on the um, the Straight Pride Parade. And a after having done so, uh, and, and people having seen my documentary about it, uh, they know that they're associated with numerous people sporting Nazi tattoos and all kinds of fashy things. Uh, but for whatever reason, whenever the Herald comes, uh, they seem to conveniently not report all of that. So I guess the short of it at this particular rally is, as usual, is it divided into two different sections. And uh, uh, Samson and Mark Sahadi and all those various people, they're over there doing their, their thing. And they, they were just spewing their usual nonsense. Oh, by the, by the way, they had a Gadsden flag, and they they also and and one of the "Come Take It Away" flags, right? Uh, which uh, everyone was pointing out was kind of ironic because they're at a police thing, and <laughs> it would be the police that would be taking away, uh, you know, their guns, uh, you know, if they, with the whole red flag law and all that kind of <laughs> right. stuff there. And it just it it seemed like they they were just totally unaware, as they always are. Um, and I guess the quote that you're saying. I said it was a bunch of idiots spewing idiotic nonsense, and that's why it's the headline. Yeah, sounds um, about right. It's, it's really all it was. It was, it was, it was about the dumbest thing that I have witnessed by these people so far, and and, and so, I have witnessed some really dumb stuff. Was there no arrests? No. And no arrests. I remember people. talking to you. You said, "Oh, it's over." Like an hour later, I'm like, "Oh, well, that was it." Yeah, it was an hour later. It was just an hour. They they bailed. It started at twelve. They bailed at one. Okay, good. And I, I think I saw a clip that you posted, and Lauren, when I showed you it, you recognized the person in the in like a photograph. Uh, Samson. So, um, <laughs> but very quickly, who is Samson? Who's this guy with the flag that? Uh, so, okay, so Samson Choppy is the main guy that you see there. Uh, he was he was admitting in my interview with him uh, that the uh, that John uh, Camden, who's one of the main guys who does muscle for them. He's got a Nazi tattoo on his neck, and he's also got a Klansman tattooed on his chest. Um, and then finally, because the cameras were on him and we were in front of WBUR, he had to admit that, yeah, his guys who were doing the muscle, like, are legitimately uh, white nationalists, to use his own word. And, I, you know, I, I believe that Samson himself may not be a white nationalist, but uh. he certainly has no problem working with them. What they'd be best called is ultra-nationalists, a, a nationalist working with other nationalists to achieve their goal. Uh, but that's how it was caught on camera. Um, and he had to, now the cops are looking at me. I think they really want me to wrap it up. Maybe I could interrupt or put them on speakerphone. Um, yeah, you're alive here. How long do I get, guys? As long as you want, if it gets So wait, are you not allowed okay. to be on the phone in the hotel? Uh, you just want to say, wait, hold, hold on, guys. I wasn't allowed in the event because I got here too late. Um, but but I, I understand. I understand. I just okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I have no, I, don't worry about me. 
I just want to finish because I just they're, they're live on air. So I just so we're cool. I'll just stay here. Ask ask them their names. See if they want to. Okay. We can interview them if okay, they want. Okay, I'm back. I'm back, guys. All right, thank um, you. Wait, wait. All right. Okay. Yes, thank you. So so the cops just want to tell me and everything's cool. We can keep talking. Okay. okay thank you so much. Okay. 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 Thanks a lot, guys. So wait, Ron, okay. are, are you not supposed right, to be you. in this hotel? Um, I guess so. Well, the problem was is that I got here late, and then so I wasn't able to get into the ticketed event. Um, and they're like, "Well, are you a real journalist? Like, you have a badge, or whatever." I'm like, "I have an invitation. Um, you know, I mean, you really don't need to have a national press badge in order to engage in journalism." And what is real and journalist? <laughs> like, like, I was gonna say, do you like, well, what is journalism really? I mean, officers, who, who are we kidding? <laughs> right. Um, uh, oh, I, I it, it actually probably helped that they heard me talking to you uh, because it was, it's so I meant this fancy thing, and the guy, one of the cops sat down in the fancy chair, and the other guys just stood pacing and pacing. Uh, during that whole past five minutes, and I'm like, this is feeling really awkward. But at the same time, I was saying what I was saying. I think that they could tell that I wasn't here to troll anyone. I don't. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> God knows what. God, I mean, God knows what it is. But just for the moment, you were talking about something in Boston. Not yeah, the but, trolling I mean, you're the about cop, to go the, to. The cop, the cop, well, no, they they didn't hear that part. They oh. they just came over. They they heard the part about Super Happy Fun America. Oh. Okay. I mean, I don't know. You're in South oh. Carolina. I kind of doubt the cops. Whatever, two local cops uh, just engaged with you. Actually, know what we're talking about. Well, a lot of stuff that people associate with them happened. In... Yeah, but I, I think that group is. Um. What was that? Wait, say so I I got it. it's getting really loud. I got no, 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 that's okay. Um, because I'm having a yeah, I'm having uh, a hard time hearing it. Yeah, no worries. Uh, Rod, always a pleasure. Thanks for being our reporter in the streets at the South Carolina debate. Are you there until Saturday? How long are you gonna be there? Solves that. Uh, no, 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 sir. Um, there's uh, tomorrow is kind of like a day off. It seems like the, there was maybe one event going on. And the next big day is the day after that, but I have to hit the road to go to Florida because on the 27th, I have my big court date for the Art Basel thing, oh. uh, the Epstein didn't kill himself deal. Gotcha. Um, so, and, but after that, then uh, 28th and 29th, there's still stuff going on here. So assuming they don't throw me in a prison cell, I will jump back in the, uh, the car with my driver, of course, because... Um, you know, my, my license is suspended, as you might have seen in the New Hampshire videos, New Hampshire primary. I would not dare dream, uh, I would, you know, I, I, I wouldn't drive my car myself. Right. Of course, of course I have, I have, I have a, have a professional driver drive me everywhere. Uh, but <laughs> I will, I'll hop back in the car and I will be back here, uh, for more of these similar activities. You can see all of it on Twitter and, uh, I'm I'm a little slower posting it on YouTube because uh, uh, the, the the Twitter I just post the main angle where right. you can see you know, Joe Biden stuff like that. YouTube uh, takes a little longer to make a composite video where you can you can see my reaction and kind of uh, 
larger context, but you know, Twitter is kind of a, a quick, fast, and easy sort of thing, and so that's where I, I dump those. Okay, so for uh, our well, folks that yep. are listening that are curious, how can they keep following your shenanigans uh, in all forms? I'm linking your Twitter now. I know you have a re- YouTube. Your Twitter is at Rod Weber. Yep, uh, th- yep they're all at Rod Weber, uh, whether it's Instagram, Twitter. But the I have a Rod Weber Facebook artist page, um, but that's but as you know, like a person page is a little different. It's like Rod Weber 50 or something. Right. But, I mean, right. people can figure it out. Yeah, I mean, um, I post, you, I tag you and we, I share your stuff all the time too. There's just Rod Weber is out there cool, cool. like the electric Kool-Aid acid test or something, just like crushing this campaign, <laughs> um, riding around, uh, making news, uh, freaking everybody out and also exposing a lot of hypocrisy, which we appreciate that. And we probably want to talk further on that while you're not being like, harassed by cops in a hotel room but i appreciate the call because like, <laughs> literally every week you've got some kind of great story mm-hmm. so it's like i do what i can <laughs> yeah no I, we love to have you as a regular contributor in front of the show really appreciate it and we will have a rod weber special when you're back in town ah yeah i'll uh i'd love to hang out and uh, in the studio one of these days yeah so, exactly. absolutely he's hung out here like not on air we should do an on-air version of that too um but uh keep up the good work stay safe yes. i hope everything uh, goes well in florida uh let us know how we can support you in that but yeah have a good night man take it easy thank you yeah yeah make 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 people donate to all my legal funds that's how you can help where are okay. they um can you share like the uh, I- the links with us so we can promote I, I, that yeah 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 I'll, t- I'll send it to you when i get off the phone but yeah, okay the gofundme the, okay. Thing, the thing in florida is going to cost me thousands of dollars uh, okay. i don't want to keep you all night but like that's basically it this, all right. this is a uh, it's killing me financially but, okay okay yeah, yeah uh, uh share that with us we'll promote right. it but yeah. um all the best Rod. take care man all right thanks a lot good night, good night. all right bye-bye Listen to how crystal clear that phone call was. See, that was see our phone line does work, people. <laughs> um, no, that was great. Um, it's awesome that he gets to like. I'm so jealous. I want to be there. I got FOMO. Got it, it would be FOMO. fun going in uh, to South Carolina. Yeah, no, there's some great. If you check out his Twitter timeline, like you know, he's always posting tons of content, and it's really quality. It's really funny. Um, some of it's a little bizarre, but it's like a daily occurrence of just shenanigans and uh, exposing hypocrisy as well as running into like presidential candidates and making everything awkward for them. <laughs> no. So I would love to do a deep interview with him. Yeah. We should have a Rod Weber special. I'm sure there are some parts that we might disagree with in terms of, I don't know, tactics, strategy, beliefs, praxis. whatever. Well, praxis for all the lefty commies out there. Uh, definitely love to have vermin on. Yeah, we could do that. I would actually love to. I mean, because I think he would actually get into like a, a legit interview. Yes, but he's like the libertarian front runner right now. No, I know. And so, <laughs> like, well, so, and that was the, the one thing. Um, I, I have a shout out that I want to give as like I don't know, one of my final segments. I can talk forever, but very quickly, it was interesting when, uh, when I was listening to Rob talk about how Vermin was treated in New Hampshire because obviously, well, he also had a pony. Yeah, everyone loves ponies, it's but true. but all like how how presidential like uh, elections and campaigns work is obviously people spend months in New Hampshire, 
And there are people who literally just live in that area and that's what they do is they'll make turnouts and like that's how they make their money is like, I understand New Hampshire. I will help you win the New Hampshire primary. Those types of people know who Berman is. And so I'm sure they're the very same people that we talked about in the first segment, arrogant, elitist who look at Vermin and think you're mocking this thing, which for me is very professional. But you should have enough savvy to be like, oh, this is like a very viral guy who a lot of young people, like how many tens of thousands of followers does Vermin Supreme have? Well, the presidential elections itself is like a mockery of democracy no, like, in general, like so. in and of itself but it but even if even if you, you had half a sense you'd be like oh this guy goes viral all the time this guy has a huge young following elizabeth take the selfie elizabeth yes talk, spend, spend five minutes talking That's in there. True, yeah. talk about how great it would be if we had a, uh, an interstate roller coaster system talk about how great it would be if we had a pony for all right like just, just have fun with it and then that'll get clipped and you'll look relatable and cool and kind of like in the weird zeitgeist culture in New Hampshire. Again, like, like it, it just, if I, even if I was an elitist campaign I mean, manager I think the best in New Hampshire. Move, I think the best move would to like not call the cops and let them have their like press experience and, and, and ask their questions and be, take their selfies. I think the best response would be, yeah, okay, good. As Bernie does. Yeah. I don't think that a presidential candidate is going to start saying we need an interstate roller coaster. No, 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 but, but like, um, like, I mean, Hillary Clinton went on Between Two Ferns. That, oh, that's right. And, and like, so you can kind of understand like, oh, so like this is like, and I don't want to minimize what they, what Vermin Supreme does, to be completely honest. I don't fully understand this thing. So I'd love to actually spend some time talking to him. But just be like, oh, like, just, just, just roll with it. Yeah. This will look make you look good. Just roll with it. Yeah. Just roll with what they're talking about. When the man with the boot on his head comes calling. Exactly. You so, all right, that was my comment on that. Can I do one quick, uh, I'm going to call this my shout out of the week before we do plugs. Oh, man. So, like, if I said no. It's your show. I'm going to. I know. I know. I'm just, I'm just I'm letting you know. Do, do your thing. Okay. So, my shout out of the week goes to Greyhound Bus Company, whatever their official title is. Greyhound. Greyhound. Which is, like, a little bit odd for us to shout out a. Mega bus. A, a for-profit. <laughs> bus company which more or less kind of sucks but what they did very recently just this week was they issued a new policy which they will no longer be allowing ice agents to board their buses to do spot checks because what they used to do and a lot of bus companies do this is basically ice will pull them over they have no warrant to do this that's they, so unconstitutional it like hurts so, so so they have no warrant to do this yeah but uh, again like you have two armed officers coming on saying excuse me we'd like to board your vehicle because uh, we we suspect that there might be uh, some criminals on board and so bus companies would just be like oh yeah okay yeah, no, never and, consent to that. And, and, and then literally, like, checking for papers, going up to everyone um, who's a person of color, making them reveal their identification. Again, living in every dystopia, um, fiction and reality that's existed both on this planet and, again, in Hollywood. And Greyhound, just this week, was just like, we are going to make it our public policy that we will not allow ICE agents to do this anymore. And we are going to tell all of our bus companies, all of our bus drivers, if ICE agents pull you over and you say, do you have a warrant? And they say no, which everyone should know. I mean, I, I don't know if we have um, any undocumented listeners, but if anyone ever approaches your door, you ask them for a warrant. And you check the warrant and you make sure that a judge has signed it. 
and they purposely have fake documents which are meant to mimic what looks like a warrant. And if you don't know, if you can't tell, just don't open the door. Because at the end of the day, if they don't have a legit warrant, they're not going to press it any farther. They're going to use fear tactics to try to get you to willingly open it. Anyway, Greyhound makes it now their policy that their bus drivers will not allow ICE agents. So I just wanted to quickly highlight them. Very funny, quick story. Also this week, after this policy, ICE pulled over a Greyhound bus. Greyhound bus pulls over. The two guards come on, uh, approach him, give a knock on the door. Drivers opens it. They say, oh, we're Immigration Customs Enforcement. We'd like to board your, uh, your bus. You know the bus driver told them? Gargle my balls. Ah. <laughs> I love it. So whoever that gentleman is, you send me there, go fund me. I will donate right now. So that bus driver uh, can have a little bit of a vacation and an extra drink after work. Yep. But all right, that was my very quick thing. I did want to talk about that. There was a big environmental thing this week, but uh, a little bit tired. We might save all it. Right, I want to talk about things too. What do you got? I just want to give a shout out to um, WAF. Oh, yeah. Uh, talk about WAF. Um, I'm not cool enough to do the radio stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is cool, but... Uh, so, in case our listeners don't know, uh, Friday, wait, was it Friday? Yeah, Friday night. Yeah, Friday night was the last um, the last day uh, WAF was on the air as 107.3, and um, basically, uh, ent- they had been bought by Entercom a few years back, and that was fine because our local host DJs, you know, Mistress Carrie, Mike Shu, Bay State Rep Carmelita, um, and that's my old co-host uh, girl, who always did local music on the show every Sunday night and was basically a staple of like growing up for me, uh, you know, loving rock music. And uh, basically that Entercom sold the airwaves to a Christian company. And um, so at midnight on Friday night, they, uh, it it turned over to the computer and uh, WAF on 107.3 is no more. Uh, the station I grew up loving and listening to uh, is no longer, and all those um, DJs are out of jobs as well. And uh, if you go on to, um, you know, Twitter or something, if you look up, like, Mistress Carrie's website or a page, you can see her sign-off or people have recorded it, and it was really heartfelt. Um, they touched the community a lot. Definitely made me feel like I wasn't alone growing up, so I just want to thank everybody at WAF for you know, showing me some great music and especially Mistress Carrie and Carmelita for hearing a woman's voice on the radio that rocked um, and like have sort of a kick-ass role model in a way. So now there aren't really any local rock stations left. I guess there's the river, but you know, this happened with FNX, this happened with BCN and uh, you know, not to be like pushing anything, but uh, I guess I felt something similar when EMF, WEMF got shut down. Um, so I know that there's a lot of refugees out there that used to work at AF, uh, and I just hope they find somewhere soft to land and, you know, hit me up. Maybe they want to talk. I want to talk to them, but yeah, so this happened Friday night, uh, in Brighton, I guess they had a, they had an amazing, like two day long reunion show marathon basically which was like i listened to almost all of it and a lot of my friends did too where everyone just kind of said goodbye and reminisced some great stories um i would actually love to see the numbers of how many viewers they had 
because... It wasn't viewers. It's well, on, uh, well, I mean, unlike us, listeners, um, I, unlike I, I, our I, DIY station here, they have actual airwaves <laughs> um, on the dial in your car. I, I forget the name to make an intellectual joke. But anyway, <laughs> um, during my now infamous North End dinner with my parents, my mom brought up that, oh, do you know what I did Friday night? What did you do? Oh, I listened to the WAF sound off. Just did she like, cry? Did she cry? Because I cried. I cried. Uh, I'm going to assume Sandy probably cried. Because, oh my God, Sandy, right? Um, so my parents <laughs> are, but definitely were, incredibly cool into rock and all that. And actually, like, my hometown of Haverhill has, like, a like Rob Zombie um, came from there. Right, right. Uh, yeah. Godsmack used to, like, rehearse yep. above my grandfather's, uh, like, metal shop. And so, like, like there's, like, an intertwined history of, like... Yeah, I served, I served <laughs> uh, Sully Chicken once when I was 15 working at a restaurant. Everyone has a Sully or in a store. Yeah, I gave him extra mashed potatoes. Yeah. Um, and so, like, so I, I would love to see the numbers and what I suspect. Because, like, like, radio is, like, a weird business. But I suspect that they, and I, I mean, I don't know this. I could be wrong. Um, I'm sure they had massive listeners for their yes. half-hour send-off. People were, like, live-tweeting their experience. And I bet you it was still viable oh the station no the the the, the channel was viable yes. as a rock station but what's been happening with uh radio airwaves for the past i don't know 20 years in fact i i just i want to go into this in its own show at some point because christian right-wing programming national programming not just you know has been taking over airways one by one over the years. I, I, I forget the year. It's either going to be um, the second term of the Reagan administration, or like the first term of uh, the Bush uh, Bush senior administration, which was again this the massive periods of deregulation, which is because before there were restrictions on how many airways, how many right uh, newspapers, how many uh, channels can a one company own. Yeah. Because we used to recognize, hey, we really shouldn't just allow three mega billionaires to own all of our media because, hey, they might have their own influence and they might skew things. We shouldn't allow that. And then the whole period of deregulation, especially for the airwaves, basically said, no, let's just let a couple yeah, of companies take Yeah, and then Clear, clear Channel over. bought everything. And this EMF, not the good EMF, the bad EMF, like uh, educational something programming, not our old EMF, mm -hmm. has been buying this stuff up. Um, it's happened, I guess, I actually discovered... Uh, that all these micro stations in Central Mass, Mass have been bought up over the years as well. And it's a lot of right-wing national yeah. talk shows as well as Christian stations. And it's not programming where you've got people sitting in a studio in the Boston area that are from here that go out in the streets and like meet friends, go to shows, promote events, local events, um, which was one of the best things that AAF was you know about was they had some great events they they booked some great bands they promoted they just you know discovered some great music and shared it with us um and had some sort of legendary some legendary radio uh and so but it was you know yes it you could hear it nationally you could know it if you weren't from boston but really these people were lived in boston area worked in boston and knew the boston community and there's nothing that can replace that um from some kind of national Christian conglomerate. You're never going to have the feeling that, you know, you can just run into Mistress Carrie at a show someday and say hi to that purple haired woman and say, you know what? Thanks, man. You've done some good radio. Like it's not like that. I don't, I don't know these people. They don't live near me. They're not booking shows near me. 
and you know they didn't I didn't rely on them growing up like <laughs> uh you know listening to them and you know knowing what was going on in Boston with music and you know getting into rock and roll so I mean it's really sad it's really sad to see if there's nothing left yeah, because that—that's literally it was FNX, BCN, AAF, and I listened to the death of all of those stations, and everybody, you know, has to go somewhere else. And at a certain point, there is nowhere else left to go. And what do we do? You like and subscribe Rent is Radio <laughs> on Patreon, yeah. iTunes, Spotify, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. Eventually, we're going to multicast yes. Twitch and YouTube. Donate but, money to us so we can get that restream account. It. Also, if they do want to come by here, they could also come by this uh, fellow studio of refugees known as New Alliance. Um, we have been kicked off our own little radio internet radio thing. Her. March 5th. March 5th. We are having... Okay, we'll plug that. Let's plug... Um, all right. Um, so, some quick plugs. Uh, the word I forgot was synesthesia. Oh, is that when you like taste <laughs> colors? Exactly. Yeah, I do that all the time. Yeah. So it's sometimes delicious. I'm just like, oh, like, did you see me on the podcast? Like, again, so my senses are all mixed up and fried, but it's called synesthesia for the real heads out there. Um, plugs this week. Uh, oh, God, what am I doing? Um, all right. The priority from now until March 3rd is canvassing for burning. So my plug for this week is to get out there and knock doors in Massachusetts or wherever you're listening for Bernie Sanders in a Super Tuesday state. And I want you to do two different things. I want you to connect with the official Bernie campaign, and I want you to knock some doors for them. And then I want you to go to the Boston DSA website on Facebook. Just type in Boston DSA. And we run canvases out of East Boston because that is a... Um, probably like the number one neighborhood that's neglected by uh, political strategists for a lot of different reasons. And so we have been knocking doors there. If you speak Spanish, if you are bilingual, it would be a massive, massive help to us if yes. you uh, come out and knock doors with us on Sundays. And those events are listed again on our Facebook page for Boston DSA. Um, we're starting to partner with uh, Mahente, which is a... Um, very powerful, very amazing um, advocacy group for Hispanic and uh, Latino populations across the country, but here in Boston. But if you have that skill set, even if you're not part of any organization, you're more than welcome to join us canvassing. So yes. And you get know out what? there and if knock those doors. If you're in Austin Brighton, I have been canvassing for Bernie in Austin Brighton for the past two Sundays. I speak terribly broken Spanish and was happy to have some Spanish lit on hand for the uh, Spanish-speaking homes I knocked on, and it was much appreciated. So definitely, if you are in the Austin Brighton area and want to just come out with our crew, we've got a great crew that rolls deep for Bernie, and we'd, ha we'd love to have you join us. It'd be really fun. We need some better translations and outreach. Um, it seems like all of Boston's really here for Bernie, though. Like, it's been amazing. Um, Bernie will win Boston um, if you, he'll win the state. Uh, it's going to kind of, it, it'll right. depend a little bit on uh, what happens in South Carolina in terms of Biden. Marty Walsh is going to be announcing his uh, support uh, this week, which will be interesting be just because of Warren's uh, stagnation or decline, however you want to define it. So we'll see what that is. Boston Globe is also announcing their endorsement, which doesn't really get no. much weight, to be no, honest. No, it but, doesn't, because they endorse um, Cashman. So, yeah, so, that, so that'll be some point this week. But anyway, uh, Massachusetts, absolutely, and Bloomberg is always kind of this weird lingering thread out there. But anyway, um, Massachusetts is still very much a play for Bernie. 
every door you can knock uh, between now and Super Tuesday ensures that Massachusetts will go for him. So go out there and do that. And it's really fun. And you get and to make sure, like, one of the things is, uh, in my experience, a lot of people have, they're down for Bernie. They're here for Bernie. They are ready to vote for Bernie. It's just letting them know where they're going to vote and when. Yeah. And it's like, reminding okay, them. And yeah. You might and meet some people who are a little bit on the fence, uh, but the more you can say March 3rd, March 3rd, yes. March 3rd to people, the more likely it is they'll turn out and vote. March 3rd, that building over there, go vote for Bernie. Um, Herb, what, what date were you yelling? You always have some great pitches. Oh, and this Saturday there's something, too. So uh, pitch we that have... pitch that with Danny. I want to pitch that as well. That's okay. Right. Oh. We have multiple parties ah, yeah. to join us at. Hey, is my mic on? Yeah, I think so. Uh, hey, yeah, man. we got uh, um, this Saturday over at Jungle. We got uh, uh, eight, uh, Boston 8-Bit's going to be doing a thing over there. You can try to catch Try Heart and a whole bunch of really cool dudes. Also, playing Game Boy music, uh, Boston Eight Pit. What is it called? Bleep. Bleep year. Bleep year. Bleep year. And we're going because we love to support local music and our friends. Yes, and... I will be there. If you want to come hang out with Lauren, and I... he's like really excited. You're like really excited about. Yeah, this. That's, I am. That's gonna be a good show. It's man. gonna be a good show, and the Jungle's a great, a great venue. Shout out to the Jungle. Right Shout out to everybody too. playing there. Uh, we're gonna have a great time. Uh, what is it? Sunday or Saturday? Saturday night. Saturday, Saturday night, night this weekend. We are getting down to some bleeps and bloops. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a good one. And it's then, cool. Uh, the, it's danceable. The only other thing is uh, March 5th, we're going to have a new uh, art cat, uh, art opening over here in uh, New Alliance. New art's going to be up on the wall. It's going to be cool. A lot of big party. Yeah, New Alliance. So let me just tell you all, New Alliance has been an amazing community to be part of. Um, we had our, what was it, for the past few months, it's been dark days, long nights or something. Uh, parties and uh, we had the fashion show. I rocked that fashion some show was awesome. Dave Tree and Rod Weber. Yeah, I'm, re I'm really jealous I didn't get to go. Well, I got you a Bernie shirt. Oh no, you did. I Dave appreciate Tree. that. But shout out to Dave Tree. I saw pictures from that. Uh, oh yeah, there was fashion some, show, and I, were, I I missed out. That's all I'm gonna say. There were some <laughs> hot outfits that I would have worn ten years ago, but uh, not at this point in my life. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was, uh, I was, it was, it was an enjoyable, it was a fun night. Um, so we have some amazing parties here. So if you go to like new Alliance gallery, you can see what it's all about. If you're an artist and want to show stuff or want to get involved in your local arts community, definitely look into new Alliance and, uh, we'll be having a party here March 5th. Uh, Dave will once again be there. I will maybe tell him to make some more Bernie shirts. Nice. Because they seem to be a hit, yeah. as we've noticed. And um, as mentioned before, support Renters Radio. If you listen to this on a podcast, go give us the five stars, write us a review, like us on all the different apps, tools. We're on like media. all the yeah, all the podcasts, social media, we're Renters Radio. We are doing Patreon. We definitely could use it. Uh, there's a few things we need to get some funding for. We'll have some kind of wish list soon. And also, um, we need a better monetization strategy besides patreon well you don't want to block content i don't i don't listen i just want you to like help me make this a better show and that means calling in that means hitting me up and like just sending me stuff and seeing you know if you want to talk about something in your community you want to give me a shitty landlord story just so say uh if you're an activist or organizer and you want to plug your group you want to plug your events Send us an email, radio. If you, if you want to replace Evan one day too. Hey, I mean, I am a very busy person. <laughs> so the more the more evenings I have free, the more evenings I get to do other stuff. If you want to come here and be me and and not make sport of me 
interrupt me. I'm but, trying no, to makes... plug what to do. All right, so let's put it this way. If you're out there and you can dissect uh, an MIT professor's um, radio interview for 30 minutes, you come in, we'll give you an interview, and I'll be fair. If you don't have that, then no, I mean, no, no, no. Evan, we're talking to Boston. You're going to provide that content. <laughs> you got to bring Google Docs. Yeah, yeah. You got to bring Google sound Doc. bites. I got stuff on the sheet we didn't even get to yet. I know. This is what he does for fun. He just finds news articles. I actually do. Yeah. I just talk to people. So we got a guest next week. Um, oh, actually, yeah. Next week's so show might be a Next little, week's going to be interesting because the elections are dr- killing us, are killing our producer. Our fearless producer, Herb, is working so much overtime. We are going to try to do a show next week because we have an amazing guest from New York City running for Manhattan DA, Janos Martin. And we want to talk to him about what he's running, what platform he's running on, and uh, criminal justice reform. And also, this will be this will be big. So definitely tune in the same time next week, and we will hopefully be able to do it. But also, elections kind of... We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure no it worries. out. We'll be back. Every, everything works out in the end, but... That's what he always says. I'm always exactly. like, oh my Every, God. Everything will work out in the end. All right. Um, do we have any exiting music? Yes. Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks. Happy Twin Peaks, Twin Peaks Day, Peaks everybody. Day. <laughs> Later.